0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the Simple Truths awarded the cheerful giver.
1: Don't rob God, and you'll never lack. You promise to meet your needs, not your wants. There's a difference. I can attest to you without any exaggeration that I have had difficult times in my life at the beginning of the Lord, specifically financially. You know what? But I have never lacked. Never lacked. God is faithful. Absolutely
0: faithful. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Jesus exhorts us not to value possessions enough to seek them. He also exhorts us not to value possessions enough to worry about them. Jesus' words challenge both the well-to-do, who have possessions to guard, and the poor, who wish they could acquire them. But today, we're going to go back to a warning given by the prophet Malachi and running the risk of missing God's blessings altogether by withholding our tithes and offerings. Pastor Xavier continues our Simple Truth Study series in the book of Malachi on today's Simple Truths. Let's listen.
1: Malachi gives to us three sins which God Himself charges His people with in view of His coming. And we find those in verses 6 through 15. And again, it's in this dialogue back and forth. God is the speaker. He's the one that's charging them. He's the one that's confronting them. He's the one that's pursuing them. The first sin that Malachi reveals to us is found in verses 6 and 7. They were disobedient to walk in God's word. Very basic. You have gone away from my ordinance. They chose to rebel against God's word. You have gone away. That's a decision. They not only chose to rebel against God's word as going away, but not to keep them, to disobey. You see, when you start walking away from something, already there's there's a whole setting of character to not even acknowledge. You have the knowledge, but there's no effort, no intent to obey that. From the days of Moses, even from Mount Sinai, even before when they left Egypt in the Exodus, they were rebelling, murmuring, melons, leeks, give us all this, you bring us to kill us. Moses is up there getting the law and they're down there having a sexual party. They had broken the law before it was even given to them. God brought them into the promised land and said, oh no, there's so many big men there and, and there's some walled cities, we can't go in there. So God made them wander for 40 years. And they thought that they knew better than God. Notice the declaration of God is repent in verse 7 also. The plea is, return to me. That's what the word implies. Repent. Repent. To change your mind, to change your direction, come back to me. The promise, and I will return to you. I'm amazed at God of His patience and His love towards us. I will return to you. Once again, he offers repentance. The declaration of man is depraved. The end of verse 7. In what way shall we return? They walked so long in the ways of sin, they didn't see evil any longer. They saw no need of repentance because they couldn't see the evil they were in. But notice the revelation of God's consistency in verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And so God here really declares directly to them that because He is the Lord and He doesn't change, that's the only reason they're still around. (laughs) In what way is He consistent towards Israel? First, His love for them. Remember the book of Hosea? Hosea's wife Gomer, the perfect illustration and type of Israel. And there, Hosea, type of God, in spite of her adulterous relationship, in spite of her rebellion, God says, Take her back, go buy her out of the slave market, bring her back, sanctify her unto you. Now you're mine. That's God's constant picture of love for Israel and his people. But also his consistency in the covenant. He made a covenant with Israel. He cannot lie. And therefore, he pursued his remnant and his consistency in hating sin. For this reason, they were not consumed. His provisions? Repentance. His promise? To the remnant. But he always gives provisions. No one will ever stand before God and say, You didn't give me a chance. No one will be able to stand before God and say, It was unfair. Their second sin was that they were dishonest in their wealth and giving to God's work. Notice the first one was in their walk, now to God's work. This we find verses 8 through 12. Notice that God declares their need of repentance from robbing Him. This is God's answer to their sarcastic denial at the end. In what way shall we return? God says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. Now, one simple way that God confronts them is, you want me to give you one illustration of how you're robbing me? How, what you should turn from? Why does he choose finances? Because finances is the heart of the Christian character. This is their crime. Christian character. Now, You know how I feel about finances, and if you've been here for any length of time, and if you've been with us from the beginning, we never make any pleas for money. We never have cookie sales. We never take pledges. We never do anything. We teach you the Word of God, and when we come across the Scriptures when it comes to giving, we hit it like anything else, and we leave it there. We hear a lot of pleading for money on Christian TV, on radio. We hear so many people, even from the pulpit, saying, if you don't give, we're going to go off the air. Well, thank God. Go off the air. (laughs) If God is in your ministry, then God will provide for the ministry. As you teach God's people, you pray and depend upon God, and if God doesn't supply that way, then the writing's on the wall. Close the doors. God is big enough if He's in it. And so, there is that extreme. And so, a lot of people are turned off to Christianity because of money. And rightly so, because when you talk to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, they tell you about, oh, Christians, they're just a bunch of flakes. All they want is money. And I have to agree with them that based on the evidence that they see, their conclusion is right. But such should never be the case. And so you've got extremes teaching from one end to the other today. Pressuring people to give. And then on the other extreme, they're using carnal means to get money. And they use the principle, if you give one to God, God will give you ten. Bunk. Lies. And so people use carnal means to motivate people, and so they get carnal responses. The Bible never teaches that. Yet you have robbed me, God says. Their response again, sarcasm and indifference. In what way have we robbed you? And so he declares in tithes and offerings. Notice in verse 10, the first portion, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. All the tithes. You see in the law, there were many different tithes that were given to Israel. There was a 10% that was to be given for service of The first fruits, And you find that in Leviticus 27, verse 30 through 33. Every tenth goat, every tenth sheep, everything like that. And God says, when you come to the tenth one, if the tenth one is healthy, and the ninth one, which is yours, is anemic, don't switch them on me, otherwise both of them are mine. Why did God go through all the detail? Because he knows the evil heart of man. People often ask me, should I give to the Lord for my my growth or my tithe? Again, it shows our heart. Did God say, you want me to save all of you or part of you? (laughs) You want me to forgive your big sins or just a little sins? Our heart. It's a heart problem, people. We have a hard time with money. There was a 10% for the Levites in their inheritance and the service in Numbers 18, 26 through 28. And also Deuteronomy 12. And then there was a 10% every three years for the poor and the widows in Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. But if you add up all the stuff of the Old Testament, Israel gave up to 30%. Now, we use the word tithe as a carryover to the New Testament. But the New Testament principle is not tithe. It's not 10%. The New Testament principle is from your heart and hilariously and liberally. Again, people always ask me. And I always take them back to God. You go to God, I'm not going to tell you what to give. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. That's between you and God. All God asks of each of us is to do what he's called us to do. And that's not to rob him. God declares a curse on him in verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So they had, they had uh, just, hey, let that go. Hey, forget it. But notice there in the rest of verse 10, God declares a twofold reason for the tithe. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse that there may be food in my house and prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, two reasons why they were supposed to bring the tithes to the storehouse. And the storehouse meant the temple. They had these different rooms. Remember Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 4 through 13. He had gone back to Jerusalem. Then when he came back, uh, the high priest was in cahoots with his heathen. And he had married his daughter. And he had given him a room to stay there. And they had thrown out. And the Levites had gone back to the field to work. And the temple wasn't being taken care of. And he went around beating them, pulling out their hair. And just rebuked and put things in order. I like Nehemiah. He's a man of action. Man of action. He didn't put up with anything. He loved God. He put things in order. So to perpetuate God's house and God's work, the first reason he says. You see, and listen to me well, it is a shame that God's people have to go begging to the unbeliever to continue and perpetuate his work. When we get on the air and make big pleads, it makes the enemy of God to blaspheme God. There should never be pleads. As people are taught from the pulpit and God raises each church, each church should be self-sufficient for the building, for the staff, for the evangelism, for the missions, for everything. If God's people in proportion, God has worked it out, that if we all do our share, we will never lack. All it takes is willingness and obedience to God. Again, there is no plea, no pressure here. None at all. I would rather die than ever beg for money. You know why? Because I want to trust my God. I want to be like Him. So to perpetuate His house and His work. But secondly, for testing God's faithfulness to bless them. Prove me now in this, tithings and offerings. Now, here is where people manipulate carnality. They say, if you give one, He'll give ten. Wrong. 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 People teach today that if you're really spiritual, the evidence of your spirituality is you have money. They teach this. All positive confession people. As if money is an evidence of your spirituality. Paul tells Timothy that those who think that godliness is gain, they're depraved and get away from them. I guess Jesus didn't have enough faith, huh? Because he had a group of women that ministered unto him financially for his ministry. He never owned any realty just the clothes on his back. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Poor Jesus had no faith. He didn't know about faith and faith. He didn't know about the modern apostate evangelist. Interesting. Go through the Proverbs that teaches you much about money. And I'm not talking about tithing, but money for your stewardship for your own home. Be wise. The first principle is, don't rob God. And you'll never lack. He promised to meet your needs, not your wants. There's a difference. I can attest to you, without any exaggeration, that I have had difficult times in my life, at the beginning of the Lord specifically, financially, you know what? But I have never lacked. Never lacked. God is faithful. Absolutely faithful. Remember the widow who gave the two mice. Jesus says, come, disciples, look. These guys are giving all their tithes of everything and big display. And she has given more than all of them put together because she gave of her livelihood. They gave of their surplus. If we are sincere, most of us, it doesn't hurt to provide for the things of God. It doesn't. Now, some of you, it does hurt. And God honors you more than he does us. But God looks at giving a lot different. He doesn't look at how much we give. He looks at how much we keep. He says, she gave of her livelihood. They gave of their surplus. Perspective's different. Totally different. See, God can be glorified more through our pennies than through the thousands of just a couple. Am I denying and despising one or the other? No. That's God's department. You and Him. You and Him. He declares the blessing in verse 11 and 12. How it will be. He will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that He will not destroy the fruit of the ground and and the vine and all of that. We read about that in in Amos. We read it in Hosea. We read it in in Haggai. And God's judgment when they were holding back from Him, He would wipe out their crops. And so how will God bless you if you are obedient and giving? In many different ways. In wisdom and knowledge and provisions and open doors. It's not always financially. Though it can be. But when somebody tells you if you bless God financially, He's going to bless you back, that's a lie. God may do it, but it's not an absolute principle. And it's a carnal motivation. It's a wrong motivation. People should be ashamed when they do that. Give because you want to give and you're just expressing your appreciation to God for all he's done and all He's given. He's so good. He finishes off. In verses 13 through 15, their third sin, they were defaming God by their words. This is their conduct, their conduct. He says there, "Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say What have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve the Lord. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. Yes, those who tempt God go free. Notice first, God charges them of speaking to one another against God. Be careful. There's a progression here. You, you walk away from God's Word. You refuse to obey it. Then you start robbing God, and not only in tithes, but in different ways. And all of a sudden, you come to the place where you start talking bad about God. Now, you begin by talking bad about God's people. And in talking bad about God's people, you're talking bad about God. But after you get tired and you run out of people, then you move to God. Yeah, yeah I gave God my life, and what did He do? He messed me up. He promised me all these things and where am I? These are true responses, people. Some of you know it personally. Because you had a different perspective for your Christian life. Blessing, comfort, no problems. Pie in the sky. And God had a cross for you. And you turn the corner and says, whoop, a cross? But he never deceived you when he called you. Because he called you by and through the cross. But somebody misrepresented the cross. You got the wrong perspective. They were talking to one another against God. They stand in contrast to those in verse 16 who were talking to one another about the goodness of God. The same scenario, same time, those who are walking in self-will, those who are walking in God's will. You're walking in God's will, you talk to one another. Man, the Lord, good. That's so neat. Isn't he great? Look what he's done. Look what he's doing. Look what he's done for me. God's so good. I, deserve, I mean, you're talking to one another. You're, you're just edifying God. Why? Because you're walking in the Spirit in obedience. But if you're not, then you say, oh, God, I can't believe him. Look what he did. Look at the charge. You have spoken harsh words against me, strong words. The denial. What have we spoken against you? They're consistent, all right. So God quotes their words in verse 14. You have said, it is vain to serve the Lord. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners? First, it is vain to serve God. Empty. Is it empty to serve God? Listen, it's empty to serve yourself. It is empty to put yourself as God. It is empty to put yourself as the one who calls the shots. That's emptiness. You want to be fulfilled? Get your eyes off yourself. You want to be empty? Get your eyes on yourself. It is not an empty thing, a vain thing to serve God. It is the most fulfilling, joyous thing that you can ever do. If you're not serving God, all you're doing is complaining. Criticizing. You start serving God and you start getting a little perspective of the blessing and the difficulty and the frailty of all and how imperfect we all are. And you start becoming a little more compassionate, a little more understanding, a little more graceful, a little more open. (laughs) You know, it's like the guys who are watching a boxing match. You're sitting there and you say, oh, that dummy wanted to do this. Well, get in the ring. Let's see you show (laughs) them. Let's see you show them hot stuff. Too many guys sitting in the pews telling, well, they should do it this way. Well, show us. Show us how to do it. Jump in with both feet. Secondly, what profit is there that we have kept this ordinance? First of all, they're lying, and then they say we walked in mourners. And others self affliction Yeah, I'm so spiritual. I deny myself. I put up with all this stuff. Yeah, you know. Come on, man. What have you left behind? You've left nothing but hell and damnation. That's really what we left. And so he quotes their words. Hypocrites. They're blind by their sin. And so lastly, God condemns their conduct in verse 15. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. And so, they promote the evil, the wicked. They see the reputation. They see the prosperity of the world. They go that way. And they pardon the evil. Yes, those who tempt God go free. They promote the wicked and they pardon the wicked. Isn't that our society today, people? Now be careful. How long have you been walking with God? Remember, it had been 139 years since they had come back from captivity. They had heard Haggai, Zechariah, they had Ezra, they had. Uh, Nehemiah and they got to a point they says, well maybe God isn't coming maybe it's not worth serving God how long have you been serving God are you coming to those same conclusions and then when God confronts you with your sin you say where have I robbed you what harsh things have I said about you are you insensitive to God's pursuit of you are you blaspheming God in such an attitude mark these three sins they are the sins of God's people not the non-believer, the sins of God's people. And if we don't stay in love with the Lord, people, you're going to get disillusioned, disheartened, discouraged, and you will become callous. You've got to stay in the grace of God, in the love of God, so that God can mold you and shape you into a godly man and woman. So mark these three sins. Don't be disobedient to walk in God's word, you better walk in it. Don't be dishonest in your wealth to give to God. And also here towards the end, be careful that you don't defame God, slandering him. It's a mark of bitterness. Let me tell you, you've got two choices in life. Either you get bitter or you get better, but your choice is yours and yours alone.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese summarizing the three important simple truths we draw from Malachi's confrontation to the believers of Malachi chapter 3. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And just before we close, let me take a moment to mention that copies of today's study, simply titled The Sins of God's People, are available on CD for only $4. And we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply The Sins of God's People, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, Nine one one zero seven. Again, that's Simple Truths. Twenty two hundred East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, nine one one zero seven. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Rees.